Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. The show today is like a handcrafted beverage from one of those fancy coffee shops just for you. So glad you joined me today. I've got recurring guest Patrick Albany's on in just a minute. Then Dr. Holly Geyer is going to talk about pain management and opioid use and abuse. She's from the Mayo Clinic in Arizona. And then Dr. Marcus Bachman, he's got two topics that he's keeping secure in his top secret briefcase until he arrives. So that's what plan is for the day. My first guest, Patrick Albanese, in high school, he was voted most likely to sit next to Mary Jo Albertson. Do they still seat mm. alphabetically? And whatever happened to Mary Jo? Patrick, welcome. I still, you know, Mary Jo, I, she was next to me in every class. <laughs> Remember how they, they, you know, every now and then they'd mix it up and they would say, hey, 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 you guys are, you know, you Albanese, you're always right there, first row, first seat, (laughs) until that kid John Aaron moved into town. (laughs) Yeah. He he took my seat. So, of course, we changed our last name. We put two A's. Because why does does the name Aaron get two A's? I don't know. I don't know. It it should be. I think they did it just to scoot to the head of the line. Yeah. I think they're going, yeah, how do we get ahead of the Albanese's? Add an A. You know, if we were in school together, we would have been friends because we would have sat next to each other. Albany's yeah. and Arnold. So we, we we would have been pals. Well, and so then remember occasionally they said, we're going to mix it up and we're going to seat you in reverse alphabetical. Now you're last row, last seat, right? <laughs> yeah. It, except you go, well, okay, so no, nobody really benefits. And, uh, but the kids named McCarthy, they're kind of like, I'll just stay here. <laughs> <laughs> you're in, the, in the middle. Uh, you know, it's like, it's like you moved everybody but me. I'm the middle <laughs> kid. <laughs> So yeah. who benefited? Yeah. So if you're yeah. if you're a teacher oh. and you're listening, I'd love for you to give us uh, an update. Do you still seat alphabetically, and does that help uh, learning students? Eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Patrick, I want to talk a little bit oh. about about wisdom uh, today. Are you in the mood for oh, that? Oh, for I wisdom. Yes. <laughs> you should have let me know ahead of time, <laughs> and I would have I would have packed a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Proverbs, I'll take some wisdom. Yeah, Proverbs chapter two verse six tells us where we where we find it. Um, For the Lord gives wisdom; from His mouth comes knowledge and understanding. So, in other words, the wisdom we need does not come from within us; it comes down from the wise God above all, as we seek Him out. So that's comforting to know. It is. Uh, granted, we're probably going to try and take the credit, aren't we? Uh, I hope not. Yeah, it's I also we, wisdom is also that gift that helps us understand, you know, God's point of view. Sometimes uh, mm-hmm. wisdom really allows us to a recognize and understand truth, and then if you have this wisdom, you're able to take this truth and use it to glorify God by choosing a godly solution to a problem. Okay, I love that. And, and you just made me think of something, <clears throat> you know, because we spend a good deal of our lives trying to justify decisions we make or we talk ourselves in and out of things. But but truth kind of stands alone. It's, you always have that sort of aha moment. 
it doesn't need justifying. You say, oh, that's the truth. Yes. That's the right thing. You know, it's, it's, you know, it, we human beings sometimes will say, well, here's what I kind of want to do. So this is what I want to be true. And we'll, you know, around at the edges a little bit. Uh, and then we hear God's wisdom and we hear real truth. Mm-hmm. And there's not only is there no denying it, I just love that, that I love that bubble that goes off that makes you say, oh, 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 oh that's so good. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. And if you hang out in Proverbs, you're going to get a lot of good counsel. Like in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7, it says, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. So God's going to give us not only wisdom, but understanding. Proverbs 8.11 says, For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Wow. Mm. How many rubies do you have laying around the house? None, I bet. Oh, no, no. I Well, I can't find them. We used to hang them on the tree. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hang them on the tree. Yeah. yeah that's, uh, we had these candy canes, and then we said, put the rubies there. I yeah. like it. I like it. Yeah. Proverbs 19, mm-hmm. verse 20 says, listen to advice and accept discipline. And at the end, you will be counted among the wise. Ooh. That's good stuff. That is really well, good stuff. Do, yeah, why, why do sometimes the, the best words... Uh, get the worst reputation. Say, say more about that. Oh, I know. Discipline. You, you you say it to people and you know, sometimes they'll say, well, you're going to discipline a child and they think of it as maybe a punishment and, you know, it doesn't have to mean punishment. But uh, you and I have you know, many similar hobbies and we realize to not just achieve mastery, but to achieve just a level of competence is going to require a level of, level of discipline. And if you're willing to give that, you get so much more. And the Bible talks often about discipline. Uh, and, and maybe that's one of the reasons why people try to make it sound like a negative thing. You know, and we used to say that people were particular. Grandma used to say, my grandma would say persnickety, but that just meant that that person liked things in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And now we, we don't look at that as a positive anymore. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah. So you have some great Patrick Albanisms. Albanisms. How do I say that? I I say albanisms. Albanisms. Yeah. Yeah. And and one in particular I like because I think it's there's wisdom and I think people are they have things that grandma said or mom said or dad said or a sibling said or a coach said or somebody said that still is sticking with you today. And it was a little piece of wisdom, and I want to hear what that is. I know we can probably in our short time left get a collection of really good pieces of wisdom. And if you have one, I'd love for you to send it over, 877-933-2484. And Patrick, one of my favorite ones of yours, and I'll let you say it. Go ahead. Uh, well, so sometimes I, you know, I'm, I'm not the greatest self-starter in the world because uh, you know, I'll look at a project and I can awfulize it to the end saying this is going to be a lot of work. And so I often try to get myself you know, initiated, but I go, secret to winning is beginning. Mm-hmm. The secret, and, and, and I'll just repeat it. Secret to winning begin is beginning. Just get started. Just get started. Uh, and because you know, you probably know my, my poem that I say to myself that my, my friend Craig taught me 45 or 50 years ago. Okay. And now Craig is great. And he taught you this poem and, and I want you to say it, but say it slowly so people can hear it. Okay. So, 
you can sometimes get bogged down in the middle of a project or middle of something. Uh, so, you know, I often have to begin with the secret to winning is beginning. Just start, start somewhere, start mm -hmm. in the middle, start at the, wherever. And then when you get bogged down a bit, uh, I like to say, if a task is once begun, never leave it till it's done. Be the labor great or small, do it well or not at all. <laughs> I've, I've repeated those words to myself thousands of times, thousands of times in my life. And then there's often the third phase, which, you know, as you're getting toward the tail end of a project and, and that mantra goes something like, that's good enough. <laughs> That'll do. <laughs> well, my first piece of wisdom came in and it's a wonderful Yogi Berra quote that says, always go to your friend's funerals or they won't go to yours. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, I love Yogi Bear because yeah, there's humor, of course. Uh, there's wisdom. And, you know, for years I would look at Yogi Bear quotes and I would always be – I would have the two questions. You know the two questions you have when you read a Yogi Bear quote, right? What are they? The first question is, is he that stupid <laughs> or is he that smart? Yeah. You know, because you'd say – wait a minute, that's, you can't do the, you know, um, your friends can't come to your funeral if you've already been to theirs. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but then you realize that's how clever that is. That's why we laugh at it. You say, this is so smart. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's witty. And that there's, that's not necessarily wisdom. Although I would say, you know, uh, you should go to your friend's funerals anyway. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes wisdom is just something you can remember. Uh, obviously, godly wisdom is the best, but there's also tidbits of wisdom that gets passed on from friends or parents or grandparents or coaches, and it does stick with you. And, you know, the, the Patrick Albanism of the secret to winning is beginning. I don't think I'll ever forget that. That's good stuff. It's easy. Yeah, it is easy. I, I, Keep it know, simple. I think it's easy. I, you know, I, it's made me, wait a minute, I was going to say, it's made me the winner I am. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. Well, behind Joe Aaron, because he got the first seat, first row, first yeah. seat in class. Uh -huh. But I know where I know where Jack Zizix sat. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think uh, I think because uh, Yogi Bear is really good, we'll take a little break and we'll come back. I think it's worth sharing a couple. And if you have a great piece of wisdom that stuck with you for the longest time, send it over. Mm -hmm. I'd love to see it. Patrick and I would love to talk about it. Eight seven seven nine three three. 2484. Yoga Bear said, When you come to a fork in the road, take it. We'll be right back. Hi there, and welcome. If you are a new listener, we want to officially welcome you with a free welcome packet gift. Request yours today at myfaithradio.com. I'm back with my friend Patrick Albanese, and we're talking about wisdom today. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 26 says, To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 26. Worth repeating. To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. Now, Patrick, during the break, you reminded me of another Albanism. And go ahead, say that one. I like this one, too. Okay. Life is like a metaphor. 
You know, I was always... That's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking I was waiting for something else, but that's it. No, no, that's, that's yeah. pretty much it. That's all. <laughs> that's, you know, um, uh, I, I've always liked things that you don't... Uh, you know, you know, sometimes... Here's one. Here's one. Um, sometimes the most encouraging words you can hear are, you can't do it. That's true. That was something that got under your skin as a very young kid. And your reply was, well, how, how hard can that be? How hard can it be? Well, yeah. you know, I, and I would often say that uh, ignorance got me into things. Stubbornness got me through it. Yeah, that's another good saying. I, I mean, that's eh, one of mine. I, I mean, I'm the first person I ever heard say that. So yeah. I think that was me. But, you know, I, I, you know, I, I would say, I, you know, how hard can it be? Or I didn't know how difficult something was going to be. But we also know that if you knew how difficult was something something was going to be, you might not undertake it. Yeah, that's true. And so there's the, that, the thing that you did when you were younger, that youthful, almost ignorance mm -hmm. of, I am going to do this. And, you know, maybe the older people in the room would roll their eyes and say, oh, is he in for a surprise? And then you were. And then you <laughs> did it, you know. And you say, well, I didn't know how difficult it was, but if I, if I had known, maybe I wouldn't done, have done it. I'm kind of glad I did. So, you know, in a way that ignorance of it was the thing that got me to do it. Mm -hmm. And then if you're stubborn enough, you'll stick with it till you get through it. Uh, you know, those were just little goofy things. I like that. Proverbs chapter one, verse seven says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Yes, they do. Fools despise mm. wisdom and instruction. Okay, I like that. Mm -hmm. Now, here's you. one I hear you brought up, Yogi Berra. Here's one that I had um, that is like a Yogi Berraism. It's it's not as uh, as good, I think, as some of his. But uh, I would say getting to the midpoint is half the battle. <laughs> <laughs> Here's another Yogi Berra. I usually take a two-hour nap from one to four. <laughs> oh, boy. There's another one. That's Yogi Berra said, the future ain't what it used to be. That's a classic. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, because uh, he had, you know, nobody goes to that place anymore because it's too crowded. It's too crowded, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's too crowded. Oh, that's... There's I, I this, love I love this one. Why buy good luggage? You only use it when you travel. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it, is, it is funny. I, you go to the airport and you have your luggage and you know you go to the, the the carousel and you grab it and all bags look alike, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then you see the person, you said, Well, you did buy the purple suitcase. And you're the first guy out here. <laughs> yeah. They never they never lose your bag. <laughs> Here's you, you know, you have no, no, nobody else tries to claim your bag. Maybe the purple suitcase is a good idea. Mm -hmm. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I love this one. I, Yogi Bear said, I'm not going to buy my kids an encyclopedia. Let them walk to school like I did. <laughs> All right. Here's another one from a listener. My dad always said, keep it simple, stupid. That's the kiss method, right? Yes, that is the kiss method. Yeah. I, I would imagine you've heard that in your, in your household once or twice. Yeah. Yes. And it was done um, in a loving way. It wasn't done in a derogatory way. Right. They yeah. might say, keep it simple, silly. Okay. Uh, so now, I, as you know, I, I sometimes like to mix metaphors. Yes, I know that about you. you. Know, like take a, class, a, couple, a couple of classic metaphors <clears throat> and you put it together. And so you might recognize 
you know, part A and part B, but you say, I didn't realize those fit together so well, and it <laughs> takes on an entirely different meaning. I'll give you an example okay. because you're probably chomping at the bit. Well, not really, but go ahead. Well, somebody must be. Yeah. <laughs> I'll burn that bridge when I get to it. <laughs> <laughs> That's fairly stupid. It is. Yeah. I mean, when but, do you... you know, yeah, it's mixing metaphors. Yeah. yeah. When did you hear this one? Uh, Yogi Berra said, the towels were so thick I could barely close my suitcase. <laughs> Nowadays, they just charge you for them. <clears throat> yeah. I, I remember an old joke like that where, uh, um, you know, the husband and wife are, are talking and, uh, and, and the wife says, oh, I think the maid stole our towels. And the husband says, which ones? She says, you know, the ones that said Hilton. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So that's, that's a lot of stealing. Yeah. As we contemplate God's wisdom, and that's the only wisdom that's truly worth contemplating, I know that there are uh, enough of, of you that have heard something or you've said something that has not only stuck, uh, but you want to share it. So send it over, 877-933-2484. Um, my sister said, of course animals go to heaven. God wouldn't give them to us on earth just to take them away from us in heaven. That's because uh, the, the new earth, the new heaven and new earth is going to be filled with animals. So I'm, well, I, th I think it was, I don't know if it was, my grandmother said so many wise things, you know, like don't chew with your mouth open. You know, that was always a thing at the table. Uh, but uh, she, I think it was her that said that, uh, of course, animals are going to heaven. They deserve it more than we do. <laughs> Well, not true because God died for us. But you know, I appreciate. Yes. I, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. She, she yeah. was just saying because you know uh, that that love that you have for your animal. Yeah. Yeah. My, uh, That's a good one. My fourth, I think it was my third or fourth grade teacher. She, you know, when you turn around to talk to your friend behind you, and she'd mm -hmm. catch you, she would say, "Turn around, Mr. Arnold. No one wants to look at your face." I thought, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> that, that I don't disagree with. And now you're on the radio. So. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's, <laughs> I get it. Yeah, that old radio joke. I got the face for radio, which is you so got true. The face. Yeah. It's, well, actually, uh, actually, I have the face for television. I just can't get on television. Yeah. I, you know, I, I was thinking about the, you know, what, the old joke, the, you know, I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. Oh, yeah, that's an old one. And, and of course, I've been able to say that. Uh, I mean, I, I've played a doctor on TV many times, actually. <laughs> and I, I had that look of a doctor. Uh, at least up till about five years ago, I did, and now I uh, now I look like a patient. <laughs> it's like we got a great commercial for you. It's for a hospital. Oh, and then I'm, uh, do I get a stethoscope this time? No, no you get a feeding tube. You get a tube. <laughs> you're, you're the patient now. Oh boy, you're the patient now. Yeah, yeah. it's it's kind of fun. But wisdom is this gift from God, and I know we all have got decisions we're trying to figure out or make, and we're we're seeking counsel. We're seeking mm. advice. We're 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 asking God for wisdom. And James chapter one says, "If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault." And I think there is a promise that God is going to make, right from His Word, that He will give you wisdom. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And I don't want to be that kind of fool. No, and you know, it's interesting. Would it ever hurt to ask for wisdom in prayer? 
Mm, no. 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 And, you know, it's, it's funny. Um, we can get very comfortable with asking for situations and things, but I, I think a good dose of wisdom is always helpful. Uh, you know, it's, it's going to be the thing that's going to help you through anything. Mm-hmm. Not I've only, always, yeah. Not, oh, ahead, not only yeah. is wisdom, which the Bible says is more precious than rubies and nothing you desire can compare with her, nothing you desire. So wisdom is not only the most precious thing, but when you have this wisdom and you can apply it in life and you can say, I was given wisdom by God and I was able to apply it in my life and it created a really good outcome and a good decision. And it was mm-hmm. enabled me to live obediently to him. I was able to make the right choice and bring him glory and honor. I go, ah, oh, that's good life. That's You're living good. Yeah. Plus, wisdom packs small and can go anywhere with you. That is so true. Yeah. It's, it's uh, you know, I think that another thing that comes with wisdom is patience. I, I, I do believe they, they go together. The more wisdom you have, the more patience you seem to have with situations. You know, it's, it, I know certainly for me, experience in life which hopefully gives you some wisdom, allows you to encounter situations and say, I've been here before. It's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. It's going to be okay. You know, uh, I, and I think the more wisdom you have, the more you learn to trust God. Mm-hmm. That's a, that, that, you know, when I was younger, that was tough to trust God. When, yeah. when mom would talk about trusting God, I, I would say, I can, yeah, I can, you know, that's a toughie, yeah. you know, um, you know, but uh, you get older and you say, I can do that now. It's kind of nice. Yeah. Well, um, I love the topic. I I think every day we should pray for wisdom. I think that you made a good point, Patrick. Not only should we uh, pursue it and and ask God to provide it, because he will. And I go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 26. To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. I love that and happiness part. I love and happiness. Yeah, I do too. I love and happiness. Yeah. Hey, by the way, I was just noticing something. You're getting a lot of political messages, folks. You, folks, you can you can just type stop at the end. Uh, so they say, if you don't want to receive any more messages, just type stop. Then they'll send you another message saying, we, we will stop sending you messages after this one. There's a little bit of wisdom for people. I just like to help. Yeah. Type stop. I appreciate, alone. appreciate that. Have a good rest of the day and I always enjoy... Uh, Starting off my week on a little bit of a lighter note, a merry heart is like good medicine. And Patrick, you help me, you help us do it. Well, thanks. I love doing it. Yeah, go get some wisdom now. I'm on it. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. All right. So when you feel close to God, it does impact in a positive way every aspect of your life. But, you know, sometimes it's hard to feel God's presence at all. So if you want to grow closer to Him, get in His Word, study, memorize God's word but you can also get some really awesome encouragement from our own Susie Larson if you text the word closer to 877-933-2484 you can hear directly from Susie when you text that word closer to 877-933-2484 after a short break we'll be back with Dr. Holly Geyer
Welcome back to the show. I'm so glad to have Holly Geyer with me here in studio right now. She's uh, an MD and associate professor of medicine and addiction medical specialist. She's chair of the opioid stewardship program at the Mayo Clinic in Arizona and medical director of occupational health. Holly, welcome. So glad to be here, Bill. Thank you. You know, first of all, I'm real curious in, about your interest in opioids. I've got an interesting background. I I worked in the addiction treatment field for a number of years. Um, It was a a family affair. Um, I'm sure many of our listeners may be familiar with the program Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge. Uh, The founders of that were my parents. And so, as you can imagine, being in an immersive environment, hearing these client stories day in and day out, that influences you. And as I kind of exited that arena into the medical field, I realized um, we are not independent providers in this realm. In fact, if we don't do this uh, cooperatively, we're bound to fail our, our patients and our clients. Yeah. So it, it was it was an interesting upbringing. Yeah. Well, I hope to meet your parents someday. Ah, okay. <laughs> I don't mean to overreact, <laughs> but they're here with you in studio. They're not far. No, they're not far. So really nice to have them here, uh, Rich and Lynette Sherber. All right, uh, Holly, Let's. Uh, I want to ask you about the this whole opioid epidemic and what is what is that all about um i'll be honest bill it's it's hard not to turn on a tv on a weekly basis and not hear about the opioid epidemic and i think covid took a lot of the spotlight that probably should have been partially centered back on this problem because it's continued to grow in fact for decades it's gotten worse the cdc released numbers um not too long ago more than 109,000 people died just last year related to drug overdoses somewhere between 60 to 80 percent of those were opioid related Opioids are now the number one cause of death in adults under age 45. Um, they've reduced the average American life expectancy now for the last couple of years, and they're starting to reduce our children's life expectancy too. Bill, we've got a problem out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, every time we hear about it on the news, it's it never feels positive. We have a real misunderstanding of the proper use of opioids because they're very helpful, but they've been um, villainized now, haven't they? Bill, the problem is... We've made the drug the enemy, Mm -hmm. and with that have come the people who use them, when in reality, it's our misunderstandings of them that really seems to drive these numbers. Opioids, when used in the right person, for the right indication, at the right dose, for the right length of period, Mm -hmm. are one of medicine's greatest marvels. When used outside those parameters, they kill. And that's what we're seeing with a lot of these illicits or synthetics that are on the streets. Um, Fentanyl, I'm sure, is the most common one people are familiar with. Um, is a drug that's taking lives equivalent of a 737 airliner and crashing into our lawn every wow. day of the week. Wow. Dr. Holly Geyer is my guest. She's written a book called Ending the Crisis, Mayo Clinic's Guide to Opioid Addiction and Safe Opioid Use. And we certainly, as believers and followers of Christ, we want to be able to have access to this medicine, but understand it well. There's a lot of people listening who've probably had a procedure of some kind or might be having one coming up whether it's a knee replacement or a shoulder surgery or something, and they're going to probably have some access to opioids. It's true, Bill. Um, They are the most common prescription medication used for pain. 
But I think as the medical industry has evolved primarily over the last five-ish years since the CDC guidelines came out in 2016, helping us understand just how bad this epidemic is with opioids, we've learned that opioids aren't the answer to themselves. When an opioid is prescribed, it should always be paired with another agent, either a pharmacologic agent like scheduled Tylenol or ibuprofen or something from that NSAID group, as we call it, or with non-pharmacologic treatments, daily walking, physical therapy. Um, there's all sorts of adjunctive agents that we can combine with this medicine to reduce the need for use. And I don't think they're employed often enough. Mm-hmm. Holly, let's, um, let's dig into um, the, the the suffering that so many people in this world are going through because of uh, addiction and overdose. I had a friend who had a hip replacement surgery and I asked her if she had uh, some opioids and she said, yes. I said, well, how many did you take? She goes, three. I said, how many did they prescribe for you? She said, 80. That to me is the, do they not want her returning to ask for uh, the prescription again? Do they say, here, take these, we trust you? How does that happen? Bill, at that dose, she may not return for other reasons. (laughs) All right. Um, that is an extraordinary amount of opioids. And we had done a large study internal at Mayo Clinic looking at our prescribing patterns back in 2017. In the study, we looked at the most common surgical indications um, for opioids, and we found out exactly how much we were prescribing and compared those to the CDC recommendations. And we as an organization very much found ourselves in a position needing to descale the amount we were offering. But then we did a comparison study, and we went back and called these people who had gotten the original dose of medicines. And out of what's the equivalent of 20 oxycodone tablet offered to these patients, they were using less than a third of them. And despite that, 78 plus percent of them were very happy with the dose that they had gotten. The vast majority of those who had these leftover opioids were keeping them in their medicine cabinets, storing them for the last home, you know, the next home do-it-yourself project. Mm This is a huge issue, Bill. Diversion, as we call it, access or third parties to get into those medicines is a big problem. In fact, the vast majority of people who start off misusing opioids get them from friends, family for free. Yeah. So, Holly, if you are helping somebody move and you've got a little bit of back soreness, you should maybe take some Advil or stretch out your back or take a hot bath. But if you have access to opioids, you might be using that instead. Uh, we we never, ever recommend use of an opioid outside right. of that by the primary um, physician authorizing it. And for the original indication, um, what happens oftentimes, Bill, is that people who are on them for more than a few days to a few weeks build up something called tolerance. And the level or amount of opioids they can handle at that point is very different than if they have a break and they restart at that same level. This is where overdoses take place, Bill. The too much opioid in their system causes a decrease in their ability to breathe, and oftentimes people just die. And so it's imperative that they talk with their physician before taking any prescription medication. Mm-hmm. Holly Geyer is my guest. Holly, let's talk about how believers, uh, why it's so important to take a comprehensive approach to addiction treatment and to understand that there are so many dimensions to taking opioids or any kind of drug. Um, I heard a line bill once that said, if you thought your problems were bad, just wait till you see our solutions. <laughs> and <laughs> n- never has that rung more true yeah. than with the opioid epidemic, I think. Um, we recognized, you know, years ago in the medical community that there is something called addiction, but we didn't really understand it. We didn't find, you know, the biological drivers as something we needed to address. And so oftentimes when a provider would see a patient with addiction, albeit alcohol or opioids or benzodiazepines, we'd say, my goodness, this doesn't sound good. Go find an addiction treatment program. 
And oftentimes in those addiction treatment programs, they would combine a variety of therapies, oftentimes psychological support like counseling, um, sometimes social support as the primary treatment modalities. But the opioid epidemic has shone light truly on the biological drivers that underpin addiction. And as many times as we see all of these other domains in life that we think are the drivers, the psychological components, you know, the the spiritual issues people face, um, the social ails that they live in in society as contributors or manifestations of the disorder, that is not the disorder in itself. Addiction is recognized as a primary biological disease of the brain. And I've got incredible studies, Bill, that'll show pictures of the brain on functional MRI imaging. And those suffering with um, bad stages of addiction look very much like heart scans that have suffered major heart attacks. We see this. We can look at neurotransmitter levels. And the brain undergoes um, fairly dramatic changes, uh, something called neuroplasticity with exposure to drugs of abuse. And the opioid epidemic studies have really shone light on the role and the value of incorporating that biological treatment paradigm into what we now find to be standard of care treatment for addiction, the biopsychosocial spiritual treatment approach. Um, I would say this means treating the person as a whole, comprehensively, not just identifying the part that you think is broken and fixing that. Yeah. Now, Holly, let's talk about the problem of chronic pain. That's a lot of people suffer from that. and. What do you do when you've got chronic pain and you just want some relief? Oh, I I feel for those people, Bill. You know, we've done some really interesting studies looking at chronic pain, and um, chronic pain actually ends up being one of those conditions that has almost the exact same manifestations as chronic dependency with um, opioids. Mm -hmm. The brain rewires in many of the same ways, and uh, it's got many of the same facets when we look at a person with it. It manifests socially. It manifests spiritually. It manifests biologically with changes in the way their body responds to its environment. And it manifests psychologically with depression and anxiety. One thing we've learned very much through the opioid epidemic is that use of opioids for chronic pain more often leads to problems than solutions. In fact, opioids can be contributors to chronic pain. um, And in many patients, long-term use of them can exacerbate symptoms as opposed to alleviate them. So I would tell any patient who struggles with chronic pain, it's imperative that you work with a provider who looks at adjunctive agents. And if you're not experiencing tremendous benefits, if your dose is going up, um, if it's starting to control your life, if it's diminishing your quality of life, it's time to look for alternatives. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a little break. We're talking to Dr. Holly Geyer. She's written a book um, on opioid. And we're going to try to come back and talk about how important it is to evaluate pain and manage it safely. We'll take a short break and be right back. We want to pray for you. We all need prayer. We would love to pray for you. The Faith Radio team is serious about prayer, and we pray for specific listener requests every week. Share your prayer request with us anonymously and securely on our website at myfaithradio.com. So glad to have Dr. Holly Geyer in studio with me today. She's written a book called Ending the Crisis, Mayo Clinic's Guide to Opioid Addiction and Safe Opioid Use. Holly, I got all kinds of questions, but one of the things I have is kind of a basic question about 
identifying pain and then figuring out the right way to manage it? Because that's, that's everybody's question. It, it really is. Um, Bill, one of the reasons that our Opioid Stewardship Program came together and collectively compiled all of our knowledge from across the enterprise to write this book was because we recognized that these conversations that take place in the book aren't taking place with patients in an everyday environment. We wanted to empower the patients, the general community, to be knowledgeable about opioids so that when they approach their provider, they can have direct conversations themselves without necessarily needing an intermediary to inform them. Um, there were some uh, studies done a couple years ago. Um, we found in 2018 that only two in five uh, patients said their doctors were talking to them about the risks of opioids. These are big risks, right? We know about addiction. We know about overdoses. Um, only one in four said their provider talked to them about opioid alternatives. And really, in 2023, there is no role for opioid monotherapy. These should be combined with some other agent. Uh, one in three said they were prescribed way more opioids than needed, and one in four were told by their physicians or pharmacists what to do with leftovers. Mm. We've talked yeah. about the risks of keeping these in medicine cabinets. And so it's imperative that when someone approaches their provider about this, there's a couple of questions they should be asking. The first one is, is there an alternative to opioids that will offer significant pain relief? We've got tremendous evidence to suggest that the NSAID category, like ibuprofen on a scheduled basis, offers greater symptomatic relief in some post-surgical indications than opioids themselves. Wow. Opioids simply mask pain, but they're not going after the, the biological drivers like inflammation. Um, the other thing they should be asking is, okay, if I am an agent, or I'm sorry, uh, an appropriate candidate for these, what other agents can I combine with it? Um, we've talked about some of those. The next thing they should ask is, what should I do with leftovers and how do I store them safely? Every person should be asking that. And then finally, what particular risk factors do I have that make me higher risk for the two problems that we really worry about? And that's the overdose risk as well as the addiction risk. I, I got to emphasize to our audience, Bill, overdoses though rare with prescription opioids, can happen to anyone. And if you've got baseline heart or lung problems, simple things like COPD, right, um, emphysema, uh, obstructive sleep apnea, it's going to put you at higher risk. If your kidneys or your liver don't work as well as it should, um, you know, that's oftentimes just age-related, mm -hmm. um, that's going to put you at risk as well because you're not clearing it. And then for addiction, any previous history of addiction um, is going to be a setup. And this includes simple things like tobacco history or even a remote history of alcohol-related problems. Um, if you have a family history of those, we recognize upwards of 50% of addiction has a genetic background to it. And so um, ask your doctor, am I at risk for those? Your doctor might use a tool called the Opioid Risk Tool or ORT to screen you. Don't be offended. This is an opportunity for him to partner or her to partner with you to make sure these drugs are being used safely. Mm. These drugs can manipulate the mind. Um, you don't want to be a part of that process. Ask and talk openly. Yeah. Holly, is that something you'd want to bring up with your doctor? Are you going to do this risk assessment thing with me? Are you going to ask for that? Yes. or? Yes, be empowered, yeah. right? Good, good. We, we have an opioid epidemic because we weren't talking. And this is our opportunity to empower patients as well as providers to be proactive. Don't wait for problems to bring them up. Um, start at the beginning. Yeah. Ask early. Yeah, Dr. Holly Geyer is my guest. Holly, what do we, how do we help loved ones with have, who have opiate use disorders? Um, I'm sure many in our audience um, have, have a family member. In fact, yeah. one out of four in America know someone who is um, a first-degree relative struggling with this condition. One out of five in America know someone personally who's died of an opioid overdose. This is everywhere, Bill. Mm -hmm. 
And so as we as families approach loved ones with this, it's imperative that we recognize, number one, the biological drivers. No one, no one wants to be in a state of addiction. In fact, they'd choose any alternative to it. If that mind doesn't let them out to make that choice, they are trapped, right? It's a prison cell. And so when we approach it from that perspective, we start to recognize, my goodness, maybe we can do more as a family to help support them. Bill, 85% of people that struggle with addiction will eventually reach recovery. Think of the power of that number. And so what we're doing as we offer that biological, psychological, social, and spiritual approach is buying them time until they reach that state. Um, Harm reduction strategies, we hear a lot of pros and a lot of cons. And I can tell you from a medical standpoint, the literature says when it's done right, it offers tremendous benefit to that person in the community. You're bridging them time to get to that 85% success Mm -hmm. rate. As a family member, one of the greatest things they can do is stay prepared through this entire journey of addiction with the resources needed to help them get into treatment. Do their homework, right? Find that treatment program, call their insurance company, get them ready to go, and then ultimately be that support when they need it. Talk to them, keep lines of communication open. I can tell you they are oftentimes the last line of therapy of support to get them into that treatment program. When the family's gone, there's oftentimes numbers and statistics. Mm-hmm. Holly, when you uh, are dealing with someone, a loved one, and they're, I appreciate that, that comment because a lot of people are, they're just at wit's end. They don't know what to do. And they're, they're a little bit uh, panicked because how do we get them into a program? How, what questions should you ask when you're trying to consider a treatment program for someone who's really in trouble? There's a lot of things to consider, and unfortunately in 2023, um, insurance companies usually help define what what um, parameters um, and uh, in-network facilities you're eligible for. I would say the first thing, though, to identify is um, programs that offer that biological, psychological, social, and spiritual treatment paradigm. Mm-hmm. Um, the outcomes are much greater for the average person if they're in that environment Um, So that's one of the first things to screen for when you call your insurance. Which of these programs um, are are within network that offer that treatment paradigm? Don't be afraid to call the programs themselves and ask about some outcome studies. Are they even looking at them? I can say that there's a uh, pervasive um, absence of those in many treatment programs. If they're not looking at them, then they're not looking at your patient. Mm -hmm. They're not looking at your loved one. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Holly, what are some of the dirty secrets of this? Sounds like I always want to follow the money. And is there a big component to money in the pharmaceutical industry and and opioids? Oh, goodness. Um, If you look at the roots of the opioid epidemic, they started a long time ago, back in the early 90s, as um, primarily being a profit-driven industry with um, tremendous miscommunication to both providers, prescribers, and the medical community, um, as well as patients on the benefits of opioids without highlighting their risks. Um, There was a study for many of our audience who might be familiar with the New England Journal. That's probably the most prestigious uh, journal in America right now. Um, We use it to rely on our greatest decisions. And back in uh, the early 90s um, or 1980s, the great study came out that was a five-letter, I'm sorry, a five-word sentence, or I'm sorry, (laughs) five-sentence structure that talked about a retrospective review of um, uh, about 70 or 80,000 patients. And in that, they identified just a handful of people who struggled with addiction. And they concluded, based off this, that addiction is rare in prescribed opioids. 
Um, keep in mind, Bill, back then we didn't know how to document opiate use disorder or opiate addiction. We weren't looking for it. And a retrospective study printed in five sentences is by no means medical literature. And yet that became one of the most widely cited studies in all of the medical and pharmaceutical industry to say wholeheartedly that addiction is rare in um, pharmacologic use of opioids. We couldn't have been more wrong. Um, tie into this government reimbursement based on treating patient satisfaction um, as uh, you know one of the highlighted markers or targets we should have for patients receiving opioids. You know, patients now knew to ask for it routinely, and if we didn't mm-hmm. meet their satisfaction needs, we were dinged. We didn't reimburse wow. like we should have. Um, at the same time, we were open to lawsuits, civil lawsuits. If patients felt that their pain wasn't being adequately managed, we could be sued. All of these were motivators for the medical community to say, give them what they want and treat to satisfaction. And then you add in the pharmaceutical industry who is, you know, standing outside of gas stations, pumping fuel for physicians coming out of hospital systems, knowing that they've got that 45 seconds of um, (laughs) exclusive time with them, paying for their gas, telling them about their new product, and then paying for elaborate vacations overseas, uh, really to lull us into the concept that their drug is the best All of this in combination really culminated at the highlight of the opiate epidemic. And this is how bad it was, Bill. In 2015, one out of every three American adults received an opioid prescription. Imagine that for any other drug class. It just didn't happen. Wow. As a Christian radio host, I get a lot of those offers for overseas travel as well. Um, (laughs) Just so you know, just on the record, I refuse every one of them. (laughs) I I think it's important to to share that. So um, Dr. Holly Geyer is my guest. Ending the crisis... Mayo Clinic's Guide to Opioid Addiction and Safe Opioid Use. Holly, I can only assume this problem is evolving, and where do we find light at the end of this um, epidemic? Um, Bill, we we made a tremendous miscalculation in the medical community because as we recognized our overprescribing in 2012, we started to deprescribe opioids. But we we didn't do at the same time was identify people who had already struggled with addiction What we didn't do is work collectively with the government to say, listen, we need treatments for those who struggle with it. And as you can imagine, the cartels, um, those on the streets selling these drugs recognize there is an open market with the addiction potential of these. Mm. And so opioid deaths have continued to decline despite the fact that our prescription numbers are going down every year. Um, It's a bit of a mess. I would say that the highlight component that um, we could leave with our audience today is speak openly with your provider about everything. This is you and your provider versus misunderstandings about these drugs. It is not you and your provider versus the drugs. And it is not you versus your provider. Um, Open communication. I would encourage people to read the book. Um, It's got great information talking you through as a patient, the 101s of opioids, how to use them safely, what is pain, how do we uh, uh, use alternative agents for pain, and then what to do about addiction. How do you identify it as a family member? How do you navigate the industry? What to look for in a program? And um, how to navigate the insurance industry as well. We can be empowered, Bill, if we work collectively to end this opioid epidemic, but it will take all of us. Mm -hmm. Holly, what are some of the myths about uh, opioids that we should be aware of? I mean, um, like I always hear that there's there's opioids that are getting, um, you know, street market ones are, are getting laced with things and people are dying of sudden overdose because there's other things being added to them. I don't think that's a myth. That's for real, right? No, that's absolutely for real. Yeah. Um, you know, from a pharmacologic standpoint, Bill, if I had a dollar for every sweet little 80-year-old lady I have who looks at me post-surgery and says, I don't want opioids because they're going to kill me or make me addicted, um, that's one of the greatest myths. 
Like I said, yeah. when we use this in the right patient for the right indication and the right length of period at the right dose, um, this is going to be a tremendous asset. So don't be afraid of the drugs when provided by your provider, but have those open conversations. And then the next greatest myth is that um, trial and error, right? Recreational use won't make you addicted. An American uh, Medical Association study came out just a couple years ago and showed between 3 and 19% of people who ever touch an opioid will develop long-term dependency or addiction to it. That's not a small number. Um, you can be at risk for these conditions. And illicit use with its tremendous high and its tremendous overdose risk could be a death sentence on use number one. Mm-hmm. So we just have a couple of minutes left. And first of all, I really appreciate your work. And I know you've been around addiction your whole life. And you you have an incredible passion for helping people. Um, Bill, I've got three little girls myself, one, three, and five. Um, I took them to the park not long ago, and I saw a 12-year-old overdosed. What? I didn't have naloxone with me. And this is lacing oh common substances, Bill. We're seeing this in you know food sources. We're seeing it in internet weight loss pills, fentanyl can be anywhere. And so what I would say is as a community, we should be prepared to have naloxone in our back pocket to be that rescue. Um, I walk the streets where my little girls see needles, where they see little pieces of tin foil and wonder what that is. Bill, it's everywhere. And so it's yeah. a community response problem. We and Christians uh, can be more than empowered to be a part of the solution. Yeah. Now we just have 20 seconds left, but this drug you called nalox? naloxone. Naloxone. Is that a needle injection? It, it's not naloxone. Many people know it as Narcan. Just came over the counter a couple okay. months ago. Okay. Get it just about anywhere. Oh, that's interesting because I'm I'm not going to. I probably would not be trying to do some medical procedure on somebody unless I was properly trained. So, naloxone easy to administer. The Mayo Clinic Opioid Resource Center has a video on how to do it and a lot nice. of other resources for nice. people. Thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, Bill, thanks for the opportunity. You bet. Dr. Holly Geyer has been my guest. Look up her book, Ending the Crisis, Mayo Clinic's Guide to Opioid Addiction and Safe Opioid Use. We'll take a short break and we come back. Hour two is just ahead. Dr. Marcus Bachman joins me. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.